Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product-Led Summit. So my name is Wes Bush, author of the book on product-led growth, and I have my co-host, Ramley, and more importantly, is Kenny, who is the Director of Product at GitLab. So Kenny, for those that don't know you, can you just share a little bit of a story about how you became the Director of Product at GitLab? Oh, yeah. Thanks, Wes. Great to be here. I started my career in tech working at HP at HP's cloud service called HP Cloud. It was based on OpenStack. I kind of came to that from working in an entirely different career, but had a computer science degree. And in my first six months, I remember meeting a product manager and saying, I want to be that person when I grow up. And I spent the next two years doing everything I could to become a product manager, including going back to school, doing a kind of like product manager internship, and just fell in love with the function. I'm a huge proponent of Product managers get to be in this unique position where we get to learn a lot. We get to be uh, involved in all sorts of parts of the product. We get to see the fruits of our labor and users getting joy from using our products, loving our products. And we also get to be uh, this kind of unique person who's thinking not just about being really efficient, which you know product managers typically love being very efficient, but also being very effective. And that effectiveness is something that has just always drawn me to, are we working on the right things? That's something that's been always in my brain. I worked uh, previously at HP in their OpenStack cloud. And then I moved to work at Rackspace, where I worked on a number of open source infrastructure managed services, including Kubernetes, Ceph, and OpenStack. And I moved to GitLab a little over a year ago, really drawn to the mission that GitLab has of being this singular DevOps platform. And so I moved over. We, I was one of the first directors of product management here when we started, and we've been rapidly growing. We've hired about 40 product managers since I started and have a just really massively growing team. It's been awesome to be part of that ride. Perfect. And so I'm curious, I'll even take a step back in your career history. So I have been told by so many people in product that you don't go and just sign up and be like, I'm going to study product management and just go into this first thing. People fall into product. And so yeah. I am looking at your LinkedIn right now, and I see that the one of the first jobs that you have on here is the student web developer at University of Kansas. So how did you make that transition from being a web developer to someone who's leading product teams? Yeah, and actually it was a little bit circuitous. I started as a web developer, and in my undergrad, I got a computer engineering-ish degree. It's called engineering physics. Um, but it was very heavy in uh, computer science and computer engineering. I took a bunch of time off to work in an entirely different career in politics. If you look at my LinkedIn, I worked for a major political party. One of the things that I learned there was my really strong desire to be kind of part of that small team on a dedicated mission where there's not a lot of internal politics, where you're all kind of rowing in the same direction. And that's one of the things that product managers do well. You know, my growth to product management I think it happened to be that I had some great mentors during my initial time at HP who really helped me get into product management. And it was also just, you know, I do a lot of hiring for product managers. And one of the things you have to look for in product managers is uh, what we call will over skill. You can learn to be a product manager, but you have to want to be a product manager because there's a lot of days that are kind of slogging. There's a lot of having to learn new skills and tasks, having to be involved in a lot of different parts of the business. So you have to really want to do it. And I think there's just a little bit of a, a way people's brains work that lead them to product management. And those are, you end up just kind of breaking down whatever wall you need to, to, to keep progressing. Absolutely. And before we get into the main meat of our talk, what is GitLab? Can you just give us some background around it? Yeah, I get asked that by my non-tech friends and family all the time. And I cheekily say, 
GitLab is uh, we make software that helps software developers make software faster. But we're a developer tool company, right? And we created the market for the single DevOps platform that gives you all sorts of rich context so that you as a developer can take something that is just an idea and get it to production and iterate on it really rapidly. It's, I mean, if you're a, a proponent or if you're a product manager in a software or SaaS world, you're very familiar with DevOps about how it can add value to you and your product in terms of speed of iteration. GitLab helps developers and even product teams take advantage of DevOps best practices by building a kind of single tool for, yeah, that kind of rapid pace of iteration. Absolutely. And thanks for the little bit of a preview. I'm sure you must have been tired telling people, what is GitLab after all the holidays? (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. And so one of the things that you have talked a lot about before is product engagement. So I want to hear, like, what is your process whenever it comes to looking at a product and understanding like how can we improve this product's engagement? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think typically, especially when you think about product growth in your experience, Wes, we think about engagement in terms of driving metrics and what metrics do we want to see and drive. GitLab has a little bit of a unique perspective on this because we're A, an open source company and a highly transparent company. So those afford us the ability to, by being open source, we can think about engagement in terms of Uh, Well, you know, we're a tool for developers that is open source. So developers can contribute to it themselves. So we look at what level of contribution are we getting from uh, non-GitLab employees, from community members, to give us a good sense of people are using this. They are using it so much that they're willing to put their time and effort into improving it and submitting merge requests to improve the product. So that's one level of engagement. We also, you know, by being transparent, we're transparent about everything, whether it's uh, our roadmap, our financials, how you file an expense report at GitLab, everything is public at GitLab. And so that also means the our strategy is public. We get people who comment on our public pages that outline kind of the strategy for the sections of the product that I cover uh, regularly. And that engagement, people recognizing that they're interested in the future of this tool to the extent that they'll read a three-page document and provide feedback on it, whether that's in the form of an email to me. Those are huge signs to me that people are engaged in our product. But we also use traditional metrics like adoption rate, active user rate. I think in the world today, especially in when it comes to growth, typically a product manager is not responsible for the entire breadth of a product. So some of the higher level engagement numbers, like you know your ARR or your kind of business level metrics for active users are hard to pin to a specific product manager that can then do something actionable with them. So we think about things like feature take rate and feature continued adoption. So is someone, do we see the continued usage of a feature by people instead of just, hey, I saw that that new feature was released and we tried it. Are we seeing them continue to use it? We do surveys around topics like, this is a a standard one that I'm forgetting the name of, but the gist of it is, how would you feel if this feature went away? Would you stop using GitLab if this feature went away? How important is this feature? Um, so, and typical uh, NPS scores as well to get a, a sense of user satisfaction. You know, we we have the benefit of on the front side, prior to us investing any development in a new feature, we can actually create an issue in our public issue tracker and see users immediately respond whether they would like that issue or not. And we, it's a pretty marvelous thing that a product manager can create a new idea, 
write a proposal about how they think we should approach it and get user feedback immediately on that proposal you know, within days inbound, completely inbound, not even having to go make requests for it. So it's pretty crazy when you think about that, because I mean, people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars just to get feedback from their people, whether that's their user interviews or so many other kind of feedback sources. And it really sounds like you've done a great job building this inbound source of feedback where people are willing to spend maybe an hour going through that three-page document and giving you detailed feedback, which is just unheard of. So I think for a lot of people listening, they're thinking like, you know what, Kenny, that'd be great if I could get there. But where do I even start for improving product engagement? Yeah, and I think, you know, it's not likely that most companies are as transparent as GitLab, right? And I think that there's models in the open source community that I think do translate well to proprietary software or other products. There's a concept called a SIG, a special interest group. So having users who've identified as, hey, I'm willing to kind of be beta testers. I'm on the cutting edge with your product. I want to be more engaged that you can call on. Maybe it's you have a private Slack group uh, with them in it. Maybe it's that you have an email list that you can ask them questions. The goal is to be able to rapidly get feedback, right? That's the whole goal of a lean startup. And you can do that on the front end if you just have a core group of users that are willing to provide that feedback. And you'd be surprised how much how valuable that rapid feedback is. It's, it's almost immeasurable how valuable rapid feedback is because we talk about how rate of iteration is so critical to a business's success. If you can speed up your rate of iteration by having a bunch of early feedback from users, it's, it can rapidly increase the value of your product and its ability to sustain in the market. So I think those are some, you know, there are also the traditional what we would call product validation methods, right? Go research your users, go perform typical product research interviews. All of those things are about getting engagement on the front end, right? Measuring engagement on the front end. And then you, you still do the engagement on the back end when your product's in people's hands. There's no better feedback than when someone's actually touching your product and can give you real feedback rather than theoretical feedback about an idea. But doing a lot of that on the front end really helps your rate of iteration. I know we're talking a lot about like the positive of product engagement. You know, I, I can't imagine there would be trolls out there who would be like, this sucks, this is the worst. And they're just like, just completely trolling you. How, how did you, you know, being so open, how did you make sure that that didn't happen or it didn't have that much of an effect in you know, what the features that you would release? Yeah, I think the troll one is, it's pretty easy to ignore. You you can tell when someone's being disingenuous about their level of engagement. And so, you know, I think the, the, the bigger danger is when you have maybe a class of customers that is really important to you financially or started with you early and you over listen to them instead of listening to where the broader market is. Those can be places where the level of engagement is high, is valuable, but you still have to make the smart choice as a product manager about what's best for your business rather than just being the conduit for feedback from your users. So that is part of the art of being a product manager. The other obvious thing for GitLab is that by being transparent, we we have to humble ourselves sometimes because we make missteps. People call us out for those missteps. You know, I'm frequently wrong in when I write about where I want to take my part of the product. And so you have to be willing to is a principle in product management that it's not the product manager's job to come up with the best idea. It's their job to find that one best idea in a slew of 
a hundred other great ideas. And so just keeping that in mind that it's not your job to be the, the know-it-all, it's your job to accept input and to make sure you're using the best information you have available to make smart choices for your business. And I guess when you have all that feedback, like what lens do you look through everything? I know we were chatting with Jackie from Vendasta a bit earlier, and she was talking about like really just looking for like the revenue and really building products for your best fit customers who are, you know, have the highest lifetime value. And so when you're looking at a ton, like it sounds like a fire hose of feedback, how do you find those ideas and products or potential products? out of all of that feedback? Yeah, I think you can... We have lots of PMs and systems for searching issues and inputs. And we talk about sensing mechanisms, which is all the different places where you're getting input. How do you synthesize all those sensing mechanisms into something actionable for you to you know, base your prioritization on? At the end of the day, you have to make a prioritization call. There's lots of kind of mechanical ways to mathematically look at, well, we've gotten a lot of comments and upvotes on these issues, and we have a large customer who is this potential revenue over here. So there are so many different ways. I think sometimes it's helpful to build your own model. And I know this is typically more common in the in a finance world, but build your kind of product feature model and say, if I have a feature that is capable of increasing my rate of adoption by X, and I need to compare that against a, a feature that's capable of you know, increasing the uptiering of my customers by Y, which one is actually more valuable? And understanding those kind of almost unit style economics of how your business operates can help you make those prioritization decisions better. It ends up being that it's really easy to make prioritization decisions on a bunch of information, What's hard is making really effective ones, right? And you have to, I think you're right to think through the business impact at the end of the day is what's important. And sometimes people miss not having a mental model in their head or in most of the businesses I've ever worked in, it requires a spreadsheet model that you can kind of plug around, plug and play with to get a sense of which features will actually drive the needle. And there are ones that have unexpected consequences. You know, we work in an open source community. Our distribution model is actually based on our open sourced, you know, like we provide an open sourced core platform, lots of people use it, that gives them exposure to GitLab. That has a different set of values than adding a feature in a, a paid tier that uh, would immediately generate us revenue, but it has more long-term value because we get more exposure to more opportunities. Absolutely. And so a really important part of improving product engagement is really just making sure that you're measuring the right things in the product. So what do you typically look for whenever it comes to analyzing product engagement to make sure you're on track? Yeah. And that this is then product engagement on the flip side, right? Like measuring usage of your product. We, as I mentioned, we have product instrumentation is the best way to say it that tells us when our users are using certain features, but it's not as in-depth and GitLab is in a it's not a SaaS platform. So we don't have every single metric you could ever think of because many of the instances of GitLab out there and many of the users of GitLab are using it in private environments and don't want their data exfiltrated. So we have a kind of limited set of product data to really get our hands around. But we do think about when we're, especially when we're entering new categories or creating new features, how are we doing some minimal amount of instrumentation so we can get feedback about whether we should continue down this path, right? It's the typical MVC approach. We've created something 
how are we using that as a hypothesis and getting data back? So instrumentation can come, you know, in a SaaS product, you get really rich data about user flows and user journeys, and you can look at data about where users are getting stuck, where they're kind of dropping off in your pipeline and your funnel, where features and increases are moving your monthly active users or your daily active users. We end up not having that as much at GitLab because of that kind of a little bit of a barrier with people who are in there or deploying their own instances of GitLab. But we try to keep our focus on getting data for the real product management meat of it, which is answering the question, should I continue to invest in this area? Because people are using it more and more. Okay. And like on that same vein, like what are some common mistakes either you've made or you've seen a lot of people make whenever it comes to trying to improve product engagement? Uh, well, you, we were just talking about data. So the first one that comes to mind is I, I've worked in environments in the past where we just succumb to the idea that we would not have good data, right? And that is a failure pattern that can cause a real product spiral, right? You say, you know what, we haven't had great data. We're just going to continue to operate. I'm going to operate as a product manager based on my gut. That can lead you down really bad rabbit holes. And so I think I've been in that position where should have pulled the cord months and months earlier to say, we've got to have data where you're, we're operating kind of in the blind here. And we might think we're headed in the right direction, but we have no idea. The other thing that around engagement is, I mentioned on the end side, there's no better feedback than putting product in people's hands. So shipping really frequently. I've been on the other side where we've had six month release cycles and you're making guesses and not really getting a lot of data back for a significant amount of investment time. And so just getting in the habit of shipping early and often and quickly, I know it can be difficult. It requires a lot of uh, engineering heavy lifting to be able to iterate rapidly, but focusing on rapid iteration and access to data, those are the, the lifeblood to the kind of hypothesis lean startup driven methodology of product management. You were talking a little bit about like pulling the plug. Like, what are some things that you look at that you're going to say it's time to like, pull the plug on this feature or this particular aspect that we're working on? Do you have like signals that you look out for? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. At other companies, I've been part of pulling the plug on entire product lines, right? And some of those are about business metrics. And, and those are hard decisions because they're team members who've invested a lot of their time and hard effort into creating that product. And those are tough decisions, but are typically driven by great business data. At GitLab, we have almost unbounded ambition. So when we create new parts of the product, we might say, the example I'll give is that we declared ourselves competing in the tracing world because within GitLab, you could provide a link to your tracing application and we would quickly enable you to jump out uh, to that tracing. We realized we were a little bit ahead of ourselves. We didn't have some of the core monitoring capabilities that we needed to in order to actually drive adoption of, of that tracing. And so we kind of sat on it for a long time. And actually, we probably left it in that very, very minimal state for six to nine months. But we're now coming back to it. So at GitLab, it's a little bit less about pulling the plug. And it's more about not prioritizing investment in the next couple of iterations. And so... I haven't had that experience at GitLab of actually pulling the plug on products, but I know in other places it's typically driven by kind of those core business metrics and the cost of ongoing operations. Awesome. And do you have any frameworks or go-to methodologies that you use to really improve product engagement across the whole company? 
like I talked about, I think GitLab as a whole has transparency and iteration as our core values. Uh, frankly, they're in our, our top five core values. And those really drive product engagement. We're a product-led company with the market that kind of demands a product response to the pain points that users are having. So those make sense that they're core values to us and they increase our engagement and rate of ability to get feedback from users. You know, I, th- I think, as I mentioned, those two pillars of iteration and data are really the most critical things to keep you engaged. There are all sorts of frameworks, and I think it's dependent upon the company about how you measure engagement and success of your product. If you're an open source company, maybe that's some of the metrics we use. If you're not, there are other standard methodologies to measure engagement. And I'm by no means a a growth metrics guru, but I know that there are a whole series of metrics that are critical. But I think it does depend on the business you run and that really engagement from your users. I recently attended a talk about Conway's law and how it applies to products and how Conway's law is that the the system upon which you build things uh, affects the output of what you build. The typical example is that if you need to make a compiler and you have three teams working on building a single compiler, they'll build a three-pass compiler just by default. This person's perspective was if you build a lot of love in your team for the product you're building, that will show to your users and your users will love your product in return. And I'll say we're fortunate enough at GitLab that we get great signals of engagement from users because they literally reach out to us and say how much they love our product. And that is a weird place for me to be. I've never worked at a place where we had so much uh, like inbound engagement and we have a, a lot of that. And that is not always common and is, you know, there are all sorts of different types of products in various industries that aren't going to have that same result. But I think being engaged with your users on the front end and the back end on a personal level as a product manager is just as important as having that engagement on a data level. And so I have a two-part question for you now. You've mentioned transparency a lot. And so first, I want to hear the first part, which is why you feel that like transparency is so important if you really value product engagement and want to improve it. The second part of that is, well, if it's that important, how do I make that a reality in my business? So let's start with the why behind transparency and why it's so important. Yeah, I think it's important because... In today's world, you know, there's a lot of talk about co-opetition and that people are that different companies are frenemies. There's really not a lot of secret in strategy anymore. I really think the defining differentiator of any company's success is going to be execution. And in today's world's software-based world, that's in rate of iteration. And so we're not losing anything by being transparent about our strategy because there's nothing special about our strategy. But we gain a lot by signaling to our customers and our users and even having a unified view internally within the company where we're headed, where, why we're going there. And we get feedback on it, right? Like how many times have you as a product manager created a really awesome PowerPoint deck about your internal strategy and you typically don't get a lot of feedback from your actual users on that. It's just shopped around internally. And we get the benefit of it being external. That's on the strategy and product management level. On an issues level, it's similar to having a feedback form, right? Except for our feedback form is literally what we're working on as an engineering organization on a regular basis. That gives us that kind of early insight if people are engaged. Maybe somebody experiences um, 
problem, creates an issue, we start working on it. Somebody else experiences the same problem, they find it, and they're like, oh, actually, my use case is slightly different. Could you adjust it in XYZ different way? That's feedback we wouldn't have gotten until after we shipped otherwise. So I think that transparency is helpful because you can get more feedback quickly. How do people do it? I mentioned lots of people are starting to experiment with their issue trackers being public. You know, maybe there's the thing where you want to kind of hold for a specific launch and you want to keep something under wraps. You can, there's always systems to keep specific work kind of confidential, but having more of your roadmap transparent. I think even AWS, I had a partnership meeting with them. They're starting to be more public with some of their, the roadmap of their products. And so it's becoming more common to just publicize your roadmap in a more public fashion. It ends up being sales collateral too, right? So it, it's not that far off from where most companies are today to be you know, publicly posting their roadmap, whether it's PowerPoint slides or whatever in a, in a public forum. And I think that's a good first step. It will show you that you can get unsolicited feedback. It doesn't just have to be you reviewing a roadmap on a customer presentation. It can come unsolicited by somebody who found it and has a comment or a suggestion. Awesome. And as we wrap up, like, do you have any more thoughts around whether it's even product-led growth or product engagement and how people can really build a successful product-led business? Yeah, I do think that I, I mentioned transparency, but I think iteration is key. This is self-serving because GitLab builds a tool that helps you iterate faster. But I do think that your ability to get things in the hands of customers quickly um, and take that really tru- truly experimental approach to product development is going to be critical. It will help you stay engaged. It allows you also to focus on for a product manager to spend more of their time on immediately what's next and what's shipped and getting responses from that rather than, you know, in a typical product management world, you spend a lot of time creating the plans for things that are likely not to happen. And so the more you can be effective with your time and be focused on the things that are immediately going to happen, the better. So I I do think focusing on your rate of iteration as a product is a good sign of your level of engagement with your customers. Absolutely. And just from all the other people we have interviewed for the Product-Led Summit and Product-Led Podcast, the one consistent thread is really iterate fast and often because it is going to make the biggest difference in your business. A lot of people think... To build a product-led business, you need to just you know have it perfect, ready to go whenever it launches. But it's like, let's be honest, it's never going to be perfect. Our last guest, um, Jackie from Bendasta, she's like, it's a baby. It, it's not perfect. Like it, it might look ugly, <laughs> but it's yeah. like it's okay. You can always iterate, <laughs> and everything yeah. else will work itself out. So I think for everyone listening, just make sure you are iterating often because it will make a huge difference in your business. And so for people that want to learn more about you and what you're up to at GitLab, where can people find out more? Yeah, we're a transparent company. You can see every task I do on a daily basis. Nice. Uh, GitLab.com slash Ken C. Johnston. C as in Charles, that's my middle name. That has my readme file, my all the work that I'm doing on a regular basis. You can probably find links to me on YouTube because... GitLab, every meeting I'm in is typically posted on YouTube. So yeah, I I think my GitLab homepage would be a great place. And I'm also, same handle, Ken C. Johnston on Twitter and LinkedIn, if anyone wants to reach out. Uh, I didn't actually know it was that transparent. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
That's pretty cool. I'll definitely check that out too, just to see what it looks like. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Kenny. This has been a great talk about product engagement, and I'm so excited to share it with everyone else. So thank you for coming on. Yeah. Thanks, Wes. Thanks for having me.